So I want to uh, welcome everyone to this uh, Wednesday morning gathering. For anyone whom I haven't met before, my name is Donald Rothberg, and I share the teaching on these Wednesdays with Sylvia Borstein, and sometimes there are um, several other people who come occasionally when neither Sylvia nor I can be here. Uh, but Sylvia and I probably cover 90, 95% of the sessions, and Sylvia started the group in 1990 or 91, and I've been uh, helping to teach since about 2001, somewhere around there, 2000, 2001. So I want to welcome anyone who is here for the first time on the Wednesday and invite you, if that uh, is the case, to say your name and where you live. And we want to welcome you. So please. Anyone here for the first time? Please. I'm Barrett. I live in San Yeah, welcome, Barrett. Please. Howard. Yeah, welcome, Howard. Great, please. From... Welcome, yeah. Please. Elizabeth, and I also live here. Welcome, Elizabeth, yeah. Great. Um, our, our format is going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to be uh, doing some interactive practice. I'll give a talk and then do some interactive practices and uh, kind of a, gr a larger group practice. And for that reason, I'm not going to have our customary break. which we usually have after announcements. And so uh, if you need to use the bathroom, uh, please do so when that need occurs. Uh, and if, if that need can occur um, in, the <laughs> in the first 20 or 30 minutes, that's a little bit better uh, it can, because I'm, I'll do a talk and then we'll start doing the interactive practices probably uh, a little bit after 10 o'clock. So, more or less, if you can, if you need to use the bathroom, uh, do that if you can in the next 20, 25 minutes. And it's okay to walk out in the middle of my, my talk, and I'll understand that the reason, and, that, and not take it personally. And I have years of training to support me not to take it personally. So, okay, uh, good. So a few announcements. <clears throat> Let's see. First of all. Uh, as usual, I have some flyers, my teaching schedule out on the uh, table, and list of upcoming events. There's, uh, in particular, I'll be teaching with Anna Douglas, a non-residential retreat, uh, possibly in this hall, but in this building, January 23rd to 25th, focusing on impermanence, dukkha, sometimes translated as suffering, and on um, the nature of the self. And so these are traditionally taken to be the three core areas of insight in our tradition. And so there's a, be more or less 9.30 to 4.30, Monday through Wednesday of that week. And so um, it's a good opportunity. So that flyers are there. And as well, I have a few copies of the book um, that I did several years ago on connecting inner work with service and social action in the world. So that's, that's out there on the table. Um, big announcement. Mm. <laughs> um, we have got the powers that be at Spirit Rock to agree to the time change for this gathering, which is really good for me. I, you know, it's, mo it's, it's in large part for people in the East Bay, which includes me. And uh, I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to be on time today, so I stayed overnight at Spirit Rock last night. <laughs> In other words, I came 12 hours early <laughs> to teach, so. Uh, and, I, um, and I've talked with people. Anyone here come from the East Bay this morning? How was it? Hour and 15 minutes, Hour and 15 minutes right? So, used to, three years ago it was 45. Right? So it's, it's gotten a lot worse. Last week it took me 95 minutes for what usually, you know, with last night when I came, under 40 minutes. Right? So, um, any case, um, we're going to start January 1st. So the next two times we'll still be at this 
9 a.m. time, and I'll send, uh, we'll work with publicity as widely as we can. You can let people know. I'll send something out. We have a listserv for this Wednesday gathering, which I think we had a, a sheet out for people to put their names on the list last time. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, if we can put that out. It, it's, it's not used that much, but I use it sometimes for details of what's happening on this Wednesday, and occasionally we publicize other events as well. So it's, it's not heavy use for your email uh, inbox. And <clears throat> so I'll be, we'll be publicizing on the Spirit Rock website, through emails, through announcements, and so forth. Um, I also wanted to let you know that uh, Sylvia is doing a, uh, a day here on uh, New Year's Day. It's something which we started a few years ago. I've done it at least once or twice, and Sylvia's done it the last few years. And it's a wonderful way to have renewal. There'll be, I'm sure, a lot of work with intentions and so forth. So that's January 1st. And uh, let's see if I have anything else. Oh, for, for what we're going to do later, uh, a few things. First of all, everyone should have a handout. Yeah. The new time is 10 a.m., so one hour later. Hopefully this will let people from the East Bay not be delayed so much. It's going to be an experiment, and I'm a little bit nervous, because it's, uh, but uh, hopefully, that will, uh, hopefully that will work and do the job, because I have talked to the number of East Bay people who say I, they just you know, aren't coming so much or at all. Okay, so there's a handout that's out on the table, on the uh, chair, which you can get. There's also, we're going to be, uh, maybe could one person get those, and maybe mo most people have that handout. It's related to the theme for today. And then while you're going back there, we also, as part of what we'll do in an interactive way, uh, I'm going to ask everyone to have a piece of paper and a writing implement, okay? And on the back table are uh, extra pieces of paper and writing implements. So maybe could we, maybe we could bring those forward and we can just give them out right now if you, how many people need a writing implement? Okay, most people don't, okay. And then how many people need a piece of paper? Okay, most people, okay. Okay, so we can give those, give those out right now. Maybe let's have, uh, let's have maybe three or four people giving out the paper. Some people help give out the paper so it goes a little more quickly. And why don't we leave the handouts and the extra paper and the implements up here? It might be a little bit easier to get if people uh, come in a little later. And if you could give me a piece of paper too, that would be great. Great. Okay, any other announcements that we have? Please. And did you did you have an announcement this morning? Okay. Please, yeah. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to, uh, again, go on without a break and just in a moment uh, start the whole process for the rest of the session, uh, starting with a talk. <clears throat>
Does everyone have, uh, should have a piece of paper, a writing implement? Uh, the handout is not uh, needed for what we'll be doing. It's more uh, background and f f something for you to take home. Last week, I focused on the theme of the bodhisattva, uh, a being, literally, that means a being, an awakening being. Bodhi is the same root uh, for the word Buddha, and sattva simply means being. So this is a, an awakening being, and sometimes understood in the tradition as a being dedicated both to individual awakening and to helping others in multiple ways, but at the core, helping others to awaken. And was understood as an expression of the wisdom of knowing interconnection. In the way that our deep nature of love and wisdom goes beyond the sense of a totally separate, distinct self, that interconnection is more the reality. <clears throat> How many of you were not here last week? Okay, so that's that's a good chunk of the group, maybe at least half. So what I want to do is to remind us of some of the themes of the bodhisattva and in particular point to the importance of this archetype, if we want to call it that, for our times. And that was really the theme last time was to point to how this sense of a being ded dedicated both to awakening and to helping others is very crucial for our times in general but maybe particularly right now and in the coming, in the coming months and years. <clears throat> and I mentioned last time in starting, reminding ourselves just very briefly, and we don't really need so much of a reminder of the systemic large issues which uh, have been there for some time and which promise to accelerate, it seems, in the next period of time. And I pointed to four core areas of larger systemic issues. The first is that of ecological crisis, particularly climate disruption. Again, I don't need to say much. You all know a lot about all of these. And again, there's, there's a danger that, that uh, at this time, in, in my view, when very decisive action is necessary, we in this country may be actually doing less, and in fact, even making more difficult the efforts of those elsewhere in the world. And the second area is the area of uh, systemic oppression you know, and marginalization around a number of different variables, a number of different issues around race and gender, religion, with quite a number of groups uh, at the current time in danger of being targeted. Right? If you include women as one of the targeted groups, which I think is accurate, it's about 75% of the population may be targeted. <laughs> right? Muslims, African Americans, Latinos, <clears throat> you know, even some of the people who were talked about in deprecating ways, um, and so forth. <clears throat> uh, 
And, you know, in some ways, virtually all people were talked about in deprecating ways during the election campaign. I mean, close to 100%. But a certain percentage uh, may well be and likely will be targeted. So that's, again, a large systemic issue. Third issue is very related is economic inequality, which has gotten much worse in the last 30 or 40 years, as most of you know and promises to get worse. And it's not just economic inequality in this country, but also in relation to, to the world. And, and the fourth is the sort of the instability internationally and the, you know, the way in which we still do not have mechanisms uh, that are solid for peaceful resolution of conflicts and we still have nuclear weapons, right? And these are, uh, this is again a, a cause of concern, and probably the concerns will accelerate. So, um, a lot, you know. And so, last time, I invited us to uh, to ask, what would I do? And partly to help us to do that, I said, imagine yourself in certain times in the past where we have a lot of clarity of vision. Imagine, what would I have done as a white Southerner in the 1950s and 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement? Would I have stood by? What would I, would I, what would I want myself to be? I find these can be helpful reflections. What would I do as a Christian during the Nazi time in Germany? What would I do, and again, in relation to the past, during times of wars, <clears throat> particularly some that may have been perceived as unjust or inappropriate. <clears throat> there, are, there are kind of related series of questions <clears throat> that were asked by the great African-American scholar and activist W.E.B. E. Du Bois. Some of you know his name. He was, I think, the first... He got a doctorate from Harvard. May have been one of the first African-Americans to get a doctorate from Harvard, I think, 19... You know, uh, around 1900. And he asked, uh, towards the end of his life, he asked four questions, which I think are ours. And these, it were, it were, these were the four that came through, uh, were, were articulated in, in this way by uh, Cornell West. <clears throat> How does integrity face oppression? What does honesty do in the face of deception? What does decency do in the face of insult? And how does virtue meet brute force? Could I repeat these? They're worth repeating many times. I could, I'll spend the rest of the morning repeating them. <laughs> Maybe, no, not, don't worry. <laughs> okay, um, how does integrity face oppression? What does honesty do in the face of deception? What does decency do in the face of insult? And how does virtue meet brute force? And if you didn't write these down and you want to get them later, with the internet being what it is, you can Google Du Bois, D-U-B-O-I-S, four questions. Presto, you'll get it. But they're, they're powerful questions, and they're, they're really questions, in a way, for all the parts of our lives, not just... I mean, I think he designed them more for our relation to the social realm, but they also, can also relate to interpersonally, right? And in our families, at work, in our communities, and so forth. These are very powerful questions. <clears throat> and what I suggested last time is that we need a kind of new archetype that helps guide us in knowing how to navigate the coming period of time. A new archetype in which an increasingly deep 
inner practice, we can call it a deep spiritual practice initially, is connected with outer response. And I'm particularly focusing on the figure of the bodhisattva as a guide to that. But last time I also mentioned that we can find very um, well-developed understandings in multiple traditions of something like the bodhisattva or something like the figure of a being who trains in inner depth but also responds outwardly. Again, in, in the way that makes sense for one's own gifts and um, calling. <clears throat> so I, I talked about the indigenous shaman as a being who uh, often cultivates solitude and vision, but it's always for the sake of the community, and the visions are always brought back to the community to help with community issues. That's an archetypal figure. And we saw that, and we've seen that in certain ways at uh, Standing Rock. You know, some of us, you know, I, uh, you know, I, yes, I think it was uh, maybe Monday, I, I talked to one of our teachers in the wider Buddhist community named Tanisra, who had just returned from Standing Rock. It was very interesting to talk, to talk with her. And what I have heard in other ways as well, is that the, uh, the people there were really guided and accepted the guidance of the native elders. And their guidance was every action should be connected with prayer. They also said, don't go on the warpath. Right? And so that uh, every action connected with prayer and ceremony, that's one way of connecting inner and outer. And there's some remarkable stories that you may have heard from there of there being confrontations with police, people starting to chant, and some of the police actually starting to cry, some of them native police people, right? It's really an expression of what uh, Dr. King said that uh, the movement should be based in love. How is that possible, you know, in these kind of situations? Well, there was an example, right? And so the indigenous shaman and other indigenous uh, archetypes, also from Jewish, Christian, and Islamic traditions, we also have uh, notions of the prophet, you know, who responds to injustice, you know, and Jesus understood himself as a uh, being who was completing the work, continuing the work, I should say, of the of the Jewish of the earlier Jewish prophets. Again, who had a deep interiority and in life in, in their tradition of prayer, but also responded outwardly, spoke about injustice and so forth, and that's again very strong tradition, and that's really in that uh, lineage, we have Dr. King, Dorothy Day, liberation theologians, you know, throughout Latin America, really, those are other expressions, I think, of this combination that I'm, that I'm inviting. <clears throat> and I mentioned how uh, we can find that in other traditions as well. You can find it with Gandhi, with the roots of Hindu tradition, and so forth. And that I think that in many ways this archetype is needed given the challenges of our times and the need, I think, for, I would say, for spiritual resources to be able to help us respond. And that, you know, as I, as I mentioned last time, I think some of the limits of some of the prevailing models of social action and activism, as well as of spirituality, become evident in our times. And I talked about how this archetype of the bodhisattva or its counterpart in the other traditions uh, can go beyond those limitations. So I talked about the limits of some of the activist models which have been dominant for 
you know, whatever, uh, over 200 years in Western societies, which are um, initially very much opposed to religion or spirituality. You know, going back to the French Revolution or uh, Karl Marx talking about the opium of the people, there's been a suspicion, which has been in many ways well-grounded, of religious institutions as collaborative with oppression. Right? And so, but the, the downside of that has been that there's been a pushing away of religion or spirituality. And, you know, one of the... Uh, <clears throat> One of the uh, developments, I think, in our time is the fact that uh, people who are more engaged in social action see that, number one, one can separate spiritual training from dogmatic religion. And that you can... That's much of what I think we're about here, that we're talking about the development of qualities, mindfulness, compassion loving-kindness, wisdom, and so forth, but in a, in a framework which doesn't depend on dogmatic belief. You know, the spirit is always that, look for yourself, look deeply, see what you find. Sometimes we need a certain amount of faith to do that, but it's always a provisional faith, and the deep faith is always grounded in experience. That's a different model than perhaps some of what many of us grew up with, right? And so there can be that training. And increasingly, people doing social action and activism are seeing that we need these resources of compassion, equanimity, inner balance, ability to work with difficult emotions, so as to, so as to be there for the long haul, so as to uh, not burn out. And it's also that those models also point towards a much less polarizing model of action. You know, again, this can echo much of what's in the past. Dr. King talked about the beloved community as the goal, and he didn't want to exclude anyone from that, right? So he didn't relate to his so-called opponents as demonic beings to be destroyed, right? And so there's increasingly that model, or the way that, as in that example at Standing Rock, the people who were, in a sense, opposed were not demonized, set against as others, and so forth. And I think that's part of the mod- and this new archetype as well. <clears throat> and also to see that the problems aren't just out there, but they're also in here. That's a, that's a deep one, that we internalize the very problems that many of us are trying to respond, that we internalize everyone, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, etc., right? even if we have uh, attitudes otherwise, right? That's what the work on implicit bias, the research shows, that we actually, just by nature of being in the society, we internalize things. And so we have to engage in internal transformation as well as external transformation. If you just do the external, the untransformed material surfaces later. (laughs) We know that, you know, we know that. And so a different model is called for, and also a different model of spirituality than has sometimes been prevalent, where spirituality is private and just for my own peace. And again, there is a place for a time of going more inward, of withdrawing, of taking care of yourself, very much. There are cycles. But the long-term vision is one of connecting that inner work with responding socially. And again, just to say something I said last time, I think it's very important to uh, say that uh, what's being invited is to see what really has life in you. Do you remember that line from Howard Thurman, the uh, African-American theologian and activist, uh, who asked by a young man, what should I do? He didn't give a prescription. Oh, go be an activist. He says, Don't ask what the world needs, but ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Right? And so the you know what's being invited is to see in one's own way what's calling, what's uh, what's wanting to be expressed. And 
that, again, I, I like to invoke a very helpful guide, set of uh, pointers from Joanna Macy, who she says that what she calls the great turning or significant shift requires three aspects. And we may be called to one or more of them. The first is what she calls holding actions to prevent further damage. And that's the traditional province of activism. You know, stopping certain things from happening that are harmful. Right? And we all may engage in some of that at times, but some people may really be dedicated there. And then the second is changing the basic institutions. And that could be, that could be something, oh, I'm really drawn to new models of education. You know, maybe that are ecologically grounded or new models of agriculture or medicine or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, uh, and that, then, you know, that might be my, my focus. That might be where I'm really drawn. And I maybe I have some, some of the first kind, but my, really my focus is there. And then the third is changing the very nature of awareness, of consciousness. And that might be where I'm called. I'm called to be a yoga teacher who helps people to change their attitudes towards their bodies and live more in their bodies. The crucial thing is that we connect all three. If you're a yoga teacher, know that you're connected <laughs> to the holding actions and the shifting of the institutions. That's what's really crucial. And you may engage 5% of your time with the first two and 90% with the third. So that's, that, I think, for me, when I say that to people, typically people relax some because it's, we're not all being asked, okay, go on the front lines for the rest of your life. It's not exactly that. That's not, then certain important things wouldn't get done, right? So here's this figure of the bodhisattva. I'll say just a few more words, and then we'll engage in some reflections together. So the bodhisattva is uh, a being that, that comes from the Buddhist tradition. I think the, uh, definitely the first cousin of the shaman and the prophet. Okay? They're in the same family. And they're, um, these days they're talking to each other a lot. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, especially in the Bay Area, you can really have a dialogue. And, you know, I think I... Uh, I, as some of you know, I once designed a graduate program called Socially Engaged Spirituality, which was interfaith. And we looked into all of these modalities and we learned from people in the different traditions, sometimes visiting, sometimes having people visit. And there's actually, it's a beautiful model because each of the traditions has elements that the others need to learn from, you know. Uh, you know, loosely speaking, we found that the indigenous traditions carry dimensions of being connected to the earth and of community that aren't as developed elsewhere. And the, um, tradi the prophetic traditions, out of them have developed notions of social action and social justice that aren't as developed in the other. And then in Buddhist tradition, another contemplative traditions, we have a sense of the inner resources and very concrete practices and ways of training that aren't as developed elsewhere. That's a little bit of exaggeration, but that are maybe accessible now in non-dogmatic ways that are very accessible to many traditions. So um, there's this beautiful uh, possibility of collaboration now. So the Bodhisattva, we have some of the uh, qualities of the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva makes a vow to help others. And I have, I have on our sheet one of the vows from the, uh, from the Zen tradition at the bottom of the sheet. Living beings are infinite. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. That's one traditional vow. The Bodhisattva uh, organizes training around that core intention. And I'm going to be inviting us to see what kind of intention or vow do you have. And a vow can be something that is very ordinary. It can be something that you 
say in your own words and that you take every day and it helps guide you. I'm going to invite that a little later this morning to see what uh, an appropriate vow is for you that would help you uh, day to day with this intention. I have, uh, I've sometimes shared, I have about a two-minute vow which I try to repeat four times a day. And the first line I'll give is, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others. Very traditional. And one of the lines I'll just share is, may my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. That's fun. You can, and these are not copyrighted. (laughs) You can, can take them on. So, a bodhisattva is guided by a powerful intention. You know, it can, again, it can be expressed in all sorts of ways, but it helps guide us. It helps us to be centered. It's very easy to be distracted, isn't it, in this world, right? To forget what's at your, your core. So the vow is a vehicle. And then the bodhisattva also trains <clears throat> in uh, a series of, of um, ways to develop certain capacities. The traditional bodhisattva trains in a number of qualities, and one of the models is on the handout from the Mahayana tradition, very similar to what we have in the uh, Theravada, or the Buddhism that's in South and Southeast Asia, that has a direct lineage with us at Spirit Rock. And here are the qualities here. You can just see that you know, there's training in generosity. There's training in being ethical. There's training in patience. That, that might entail when you're with someone who stretches your patience, such as that particular member of your extended family <laughs> or that person at work. You say, oh, it's time for patience training. Right? And you, you know, that, that's what the vow helps you to do. It says, oh, I'm, here's my training now. We train in developing more energy or effort. It could have many manifestations. It could be taking care of one's body and you know, it could relate to diet, exercise, sleep, and so forth. It could be uh, other inner practices which free your energy, maybe practices like yoga or qigong, uh, as well as meditation. Then the uh, fifth here is meditation. Uh, the different capacities we develop for concentration, for non-distractedness, for seeing clearly, for being able to work with difficult emotions. All of these are part of the meditative training. There's training in wisdom, seeing clearly, understanding interdependence, seeing deeply the nature of the mind, and so forth. There's the training in skillful means and having a number of different tools for being able to... um, Uh, respond in different situations. And I mentioned how, last time, how in our times I think the person who is a bodhisattva really can be helped by uh, developing some contemporary trainings. The contemporary bodhisattva also may train in communication, skillful speech, working with conflict, various aspects of diversity training, training in different ways to be skillful in action, you know, maybe community organizing, some would train in nonviolent action and so forth. So those are various kinds of skillful means. So you see there could be a whole undergraduate, graduate, and postgraduate institute, right? I told you, I think last week, I'll, I'll repeat this for last time, you know, I, I've been involved for, uh, I was involved for about 15 years in developing training programs in this area. One of them we were going to call the Bodhisattva School, which my father liked to call the BS. <laughs> Kept on saying, how's the BS going? So. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> So you see, the, the eighth is, is vow, 
or commitment. It's having some way of really organizing one's, one's efforts in this way. Uh, the ninth was powers, uh, but these are really the kind of the development of gifts. <clears throat> and then the last was different kinds of knowledge or deeper, uh, deeper aspects of understanding. <clears throat> What, I, what I've invited us to contemplate is to see whether the, there's a resonance with you of something like this figure of the Bodhisattva. Again, you may be drawn to one of the other traditional expressions in other traditions, but to see whether there's some resonance with you of being someone who connects inner development with acting outwardly in the ways which express your own inclinations, gifts, and sense of calling. And so what I want to do for the rest of the time is to explore that personal resonance in several ways. I want to start with a short guided meditation. And so I'll invite you, if you can, to uh, not take a break for the rest of our time. And it's also good now to make sure you have a piece of paper and the writing implement, because we'll, we'll move into that phase. First, just come back to a way of stabilizing your attention. Come back to quiet and silence. Coming back just to the breath or whatever else you focus on. If you have a practice of metta or loving-kindness, just do that for a minute or two. And for those who haven't been trained in that practice, it's just to bring to mind a person or, or perhaps a place that tends to bring out your sense of warmth or kindness. Maybe a uh, a child in your family, or someone you love very much. Just bring that being to mind so that it evokes a sense of warmth and possibly compassion and love. And then let there be a place for any resonance that you had with the talk about the 
figure of the bodhisattva and related figures, the being who would connect inner depth with outer response. And just reflect for a moment on how that might have resonated with you. Bring to mind also some of the emotions, including difficult ones that you may have had in the last month or possibly going beyond in relationship to the larger world. Just go as much as feels like a place you want to go to now that there may have been for some concern or fear or sadness or shock or hope or encouragement. Just see what that is there for you for a moment. And then contemplate whether there's a kind of a vow or core intention which surfaces for you. Ideally, that you could say in one sentence, there's some intention that comes out of the morning and that reflects your, your intention or vow. And if there is, I'll invite you now to take your piece of paper and write that intention in one sentence, a one-sentence intention or vow, and this is something you'll be able to keep for yourself, that expresses that vow. Again, make it in, make it in one sentence. See what calls you.
Then, still on the sheet of paper, name three capacities that you would like to develop further in that will help you to manifest your intention. It could be similar to what's on the uh, handout in terms of the bodhisattva training, but what are three capacities? could be patience, compassion, mindfulness, love, skillful speech, etc. What are three capacities that you'd like to train in further that would help you? How many need a little more time? Okay. We're going to do a kind of a group practice, a kind of a ritual together as follows. And this, uh, let me say that this is um, encouraged, but it's optional. If for for any reason you don't feel like participating in this, that's okay. But there are a lot of benefits if you do. (laughs) So... If you're on the edge, maybe consider to, to do it. Uh, but it, it, is, it is optional. And um, I also want to say that uh, we're going to be inviting people to come up and to express your vow before the group. But I'm going to have people come up in sets of twos. So you'll have your bodhisattva in training companion with you. And uh, the other thing to say is I'm going to invite people to come up and just say your vow. And the, in terms of, um, you know, some of you know, we, we uh, do recordings for Dharma Seed, but the recording is going to cut off before people come up in terms of what we put on. So that's, this is not going to be for the sake of public distribution at all, just so you're clear on that. <clears throat> this is just, just for us, really, the sharing. And the way we'll do it is this. Um, I'm going to invite people from the different groupings here. Um, Your left, my right, which is a good pointer from a political perspective to the interconnection of left and right. (laughs) Okay. I'll have people on your left, my right, uh, form a procession, two people, two people in back of them, two people in back of them, and you'll come up here, you'll 
when the two people come up, you'll turn to the whole group. You'll express one at a time your vow. And after each set of two, we will say collectively, we bow to you bodhisattvas, understanding bodhisattvas mean bodhisattvas in training. You don't have to be fully developed to participate in this. <laughs> okay. uh, we bow to you, bodhisattvas. Now is the time to bring your, take your blessings out into the world. Okay. We bow to you, bodhisattvas. Now is the time to take your blessing out into the world. Let's try that. We bow to you, bodhisattvas. Now is the time to take your blessings out into the world. One more time. We bow to you, bodhisattvas. Now is the time to take your blessings out into the world. Okay? Uh, and I'll also give each person a red cord. We're going to do something with that near the end. Okay? So I'll place this in your hand. And then when you finish, you can just go back to your seat. And I'll have this, uh, the, the left-right contingent here, on my right, form first in kind of a procession, groups of two coming up. Then we'll have the center group form in one of the aisles come forward. And then we'll have the group on my left, your right, form. So we'll have the great left-right connection, the great center, and the great right-left connection. Okay. 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 Uh, let's, so let's form. You can bring your paper, piece of paper with you. What do you think? It'll help people to hear. Uh, let's, let's use it. Let me ask, are, are, are you comfortable using the microphone for this for the sake of uh, people being able to hear well? Is that okay? You want to hold it right up to your mouth, not six inches below, okay? How many people are okay with that? Okay. How many people are a little uncomfortable? Okay, great. We'll do that then. Okay. And, um, okay, and I will, I will give out these as people come up. <clears throat> Then we'll also say to this last group, together, we bow to you, together. We bow to you, bodhisattvas. Now is the time to take your blessings out into the world. <clears throat> Look for that personal calling, very crucial as we, as we continue. And let it be very individual, personal, and resonant. And to stay in touch with this intention in different ways. You may want to remember it uh, once or twice a day. If you have a meditation period, end, end your meditation with it. Remember it. Uh, vows can be very important. Sometimes also if there's a friend or someone in your life that's close to, if you make vows together. I remember at one point I made a vow with a close friend and um, we did it together and it had tremendous power. You know, that's that power of uh, witnessing being witnessed can have tremendous power. <clears throat> so we'll now... Um, use the red string as a way of keeping remembrance of our time here together. And the red string symbolizes traditionally the garments of the Buddha. It was from often from a color, that's the color of a monk's robe or a nun's robe. And we, as many of you know, we often use it in practices to um, have a way of remembering 
some of our deeper intentions. And we'll start by tying three knots in it. We'll tie, we'll tie three knots in the string. The first one... Oh, yes. Yes, would anyone else like a string? Please. We tie three knots in the string. The first symbolizes our commitment to awaken, to keep learning, to develop our love, our wisdom, our compassion, our responsiveness ever more fully. So bring to mind your own intention to keep awakening, to keep learning. And then when you're ready, tie a knot in the string to symbolize that. The second knot symbolizes our commitment to responsiveness, to being ethical. For some of us, it's to follow the ethical guidelines. To engage in non-harming, stated negatively. To engage in actions of care and love and compassion, stated positively. For all beings. So this is a grounding in acting responsively and ethically for all beings. However you frame that. Bring to mind how that has meaning for you. And when you're ready, tie a second knot. And the third knot is for mystery. Mystery always deserves representation. (laughs) And this is for the mystery of how change occurs, for the mystery of our lives, for the mystery of the depths of the teachings, the depths of awakening, the depths of a wise and loving mind and heart. So again, bring bring your sense of mystery and your willingness to connect with mystery. And then when you're ready, tie a third knot. May this red string symbolize for us these three aspects of awakening, of ethics and responsiveness, and of mystery. And may this red string also symbolize our vow, which in probably for many of us captures those dimensions in many ways. We have a choice of what to do with the string. Some of us may want to uh, keep it on our wrist or on our ankles or around our neck. Some of us may want to just place it on an altar somewhere. Some of us may want to do something else. <laughs> Put it by a favorite plant. Who knows? You know. And what I'll invite now is... Um, <clears throat> If you want to put it on your wrist, you will need a bodhisattva buddy. <laughs> For most of us do not have the capacity to tie something on our own wrists. And so some of you are tying it on your ankle and you can do that yourself. But raise your hand if you need a buddy to help you put it on your wrist. Uh, I do, so you could, could you come up with me? <clears throat> and find that partner and... <clears throat> Maybe three times. And usually, and then tie it fairly, fairly tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little, little tight. yeah, that's good. About that level, yeah. And then you tie three, maybe three knots in it. Mm-hmm. So we now have our bodhisattva vow, a sense of training in three areas, 
and we have the beginnings of our bodhisattva wardrobe. <laughs> I want to close just with uh, one reading, which is a very nice uh, reading uh, from the American democratic tradition. This is uh, Walt Whitman. But it, listen to it, it really expresses a version of this bodhisattva intention. <clears throat> this is what you should do. This was, I think... I think this was probably written, I think this is from Leaves of Grass, so that means it would have been written in the 1850s. Okay? <clears throat> this is what you should do. Love the earth and sun and animals. Despise riches. Give alms to everyone that asks. Stand up for the stupid and crazy. Devote your income and labor to others. Hate tyrants. Argue not concerning God. <laughs> Have patience and indulgence towards the people. Re-examine all you have been told in school or church or in any book. Dismiss what insults your very soul, and your flesh shall become a great poem, and have the richest fluency not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and face and between the lashes of your eyes and in every motion and joint of your body. We dedicate the merit of this gathering to all beings, and let's finish with our invitation to the Bodhisattva that we gave after each person, each group of two, spoke. So let's say that together now, saying it to each other. We bow to you, Bodhisattvas. Now is the time to take your blessings out into the world. So please continue your training well and remember your vows and we will continue together. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.